0: John 4:27 Now, this is um, vacation time. Thank God. How many of you get to go on a vacation this year? Raise your hand. Really? That's all. Oh man, I've got to pray for you guys. <laughs> oh uh, No, I, I know that it's hard to, to uh, swing it sometimes financially, times getting off of work and all that kind of stuff, but if you can get some rest this summer, some refreshing and relaxation, I encourage you to do so. I'm looking forward to, fi- Sue and I uh, celebrated, our, as you know, our 40th anniversary a couple of months ago, and we are uh, looking forward to actually finally making our, our big trip, and that'll be at the end of August. We get to go for seven days to the Caribbean. Yay! Yay. The doctor, one of the doctors that Sue works for uh, gave us a timeshare point so we get to use to do it. So, yeah, praise God. I'm looking forward to that. <sighs> Where was I? Oh, yeah, Caribbean. Yeah. Um, but we, uh, because it's that time of year, I, I've, I decided I'd like to just talk for the next few weeks about some of the occasions when Jesus was on the road with his disciples because they they logged quite a few miles together. And I wanted to explore some of the times when, uh, as a result of their travel, the Lord was able to teach or to uh, um, address issues with his disciples that uh, they wouldn't have been able to in the same way except that they were on the road together. So this series of messages is going to be called On the Road with Jesus. And today's message is specifically titled the hunger of the heart and we're looking at john chapter 4 beginning at verse 27 through 28 sue and i uh just got back last night from four days of uh uh, being with a couple of our daughters and their kids uh at um our family cabin down in southern california and um it it was. Uh, it's an eight-hour drive, so you really spend one whole day driving there, one whole day driving back, and so you, uh, you know, and then two days there, and it was great, and we were happy to have had the chance to do it. But there's something that happens on the road, sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But there, you know, it's different. You experience things different when the miles are are passing under your wheels, or as in the case of. Uh, Riley Williams. Riley, where are you? He <laughs> just got back from 8,000 miles on the back of a motorcycle. You experience the country in a way that most of us will never. When you are on the road, it's a different story than when you're just flying over. Unless you're going to the Caribbean, then you kind of <laughs> have to. But <clears throat> We, Sue and I, uh, you know, we... We've spent a lot of time on the road with our kids over the years. Now, we're old school. We come from the time before you know you had 4K, 3D digital displays in the back seat for your kids, and so we kind of had to make it up as we went. You know, my hat, it has three corners, three corners, has my hat. You know, and uh, hearing the, the thing, are we there yet? And you know, don't touch me, and do I have to pull this car over, and you know all that kind of stuff. And, and, and you know, you, you sometimes you wonder if it's really worth it. But it's funny how uh, when they have a chance to do otherwise, our kids want to do the road thing. Now, <laughs> now I say, it was different then. But there is a way that you experience uh, things differently when you're uh, when you're face to face with them in that kind of a setting. And um, so there are some things that came out of these travel experiences with Jesus and his disciples that I don't think, I I know the Lord, you know, the Lord is never, uh, he's not just making it up as he goes. You know, there are plans involved in this. But I I don't think it could have been done any other way except that they they were traveling together. And the first place that we're going to be, first stop along this series of messages is a place called Sychar, or Jacob's Well. Actually, Jacob's Well was was uh, there in Sychar which is uh, in Samaria and Jesus and the disciples were traveling from uh, the area of Judea Jericho vicinity up to Samaria and to this city called Sychar they're actually on their way farther north to um, the region of Galilee and normally, the Jews would not travel from, because uh, you've got to get this, that the uh, southern part of, of Israel in those days was was called Judea. The northern part was called Galilee. In between, sandwiched in between those two sections of Israel was a, an area called Samaria. The Samaritans were considered by the Jews half-breeds, and they hated them. In fact, so... Uh, so um, they hated them so much that it's said that the Jews wouldn't breathe the air if it was blowing from the north from Samaria, and so Jews would not travel this route, this direct route from Jericho to Sychar, or you know, Jericho to um, excuse me, Judea to Galilee by a direct route what they would do is they would cross over the Jordan River, as you can see there on the map, and travel along the east side of the Jordan River up to Galilee, then cross over after they had passed Samaria, just so they wouldn't have to travel through, you know, this place where they had such prejudice towards the people. But Jesus, when he was with his disciples and he said, hey, we're heading to Galilee, and he says this, he says, I have to go through Samaria, well, he didn't have to go. In fact, that wouldn't be the normal course, but he, the Lord knew that there was an appointment, that he had a divine appointment with a woman drawing water from a well in Sychar. And so for that reason, they make this trip in that vicinity. This is a picture of Sychar, so you can kind of have that in the back of your mind as we, as we talk. Now, I think most of you are familiar enough with the story of Jesus speaking to this woman at the well, that I won't go into it. It's an amazing, an amazing episode in the life and ministry of Jesus. And you could literally spend weeks, uh, uh, you know, addressing all of that, all of the wonderful truths that are embodied in in that episode. But uh, I don't have time to do that today. I'll just say that this woman comes out of the city in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day. She's clearly a marked woman, someone that, because they wouldn't, um, the women would come to the well together in the, in the cooler parts of the day, in the late afternoon or in the morning. She's there in the, heart, in the heart of the hottest part of the day all by herself. And when she tells her story, it's clear that she's kind of ostracized by the, um, by the women of the, of the town. And um, so Jesus has uh, really no reason. To even speak to her first of all it would be kind of considered inappropriate for a man to have a conversation with a woman other than his wife alone in a in a place like that and uh, so there's there's that but then there's also the, what I just described that this is a person that is kind of not uh, regarded by by people um, but Jesus has he's after you he's after me and he doesn't care about what we've done or haven't done and what, how our, sins, our lives have been scarred by sin. He loves us. So he speaks to this woman and he starts a conversation simply by saying, can I have a drink of water? Could you draw some water for me? And that conversation broadens out into this thing where she comes to realize that the person she's talking to, the person who's talking to her is the Christ, the Messiah. And we're going to pick up the story at the point point where she is so overcome by this realization that she leaves her water pot. She's forgotten about why she even came there in the first place. Runs back to town to tell everyone in the city, hey, I think I've just met the Christ. And that's where we begin the story, verse 27, chapter 4 of John. And at this point, his disciples came, because, see, the disciples have uh, they've left Jesus alone there because they've gone into town to buy food. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the man, Come, see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? then they everybody in the city then they went out of the city and came to him so get the picture the disciples are returning from buying food the woman who's been talking with jesus leaves her water part over water pot overcome with the understanding that she is in the presence of the promised one the messiah she runs back to town and tells them hey, I think I've met the Christ, they all begin to uh, come back out to the well, and so there's this throng of people on their way, and the disciples are there with Jesus. And in uh, um, verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him any food? I mean, what does he mean by this? He's got, he's got food to eat that we don't know about. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. And when he says this, all they have to do is lift up their eyes and see the throng of people, the harvest coming. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. People are hungry for the truth. People are hungry for the gospel. Just look around. Verse 36, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this, uh, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap That for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. There's five things I would like to draw out of this passage to present to you this morning in terms of what I believe is some of what the Lord was trying to communicate in that moment to his disciples. As they've come back from buying food in Sychar, and they see this woman, uh, she's ending her conversation with Jesus, she leaves her water pot. Rose goes into town, and then they see the throngs of people coming back with her. The first thing I want you to see or notice with me is that we all have a spiritual hunger. Jesus said, I have food to eat that you don't understand. There is a hunger that each of us has. You, look, you would not be here today. What are you doing here anyway? <laughs> Why aren't you on vacation? You're here today because of a hunger that you have for for God. Now you, many of you, like me, um, thought that that hunger was for something else and tried to fill it or satisfy it in other ways. But you found, like I have found, that there is nothing that satisfies that hunger of my heart except God. I was made, you were made, we were built for a relationship with our maker, with our God. And nothing else will satisfy. And until that connection is made, until I come to know the one who made me. And come into right relationship with him, there will always be a yearning, a hunger that's unsatisfied. Jesus, that's what he was talking about we all have a spiritual hunger i have food to eat that you you don't seem to get you don't understand you you can't comprehend yet or you're not getting it but then he went on to say now the food that i am talking about is to do the will of him who sent me now these two things go hand in hand Having a relationship with God that satisfies the deepest hungers of my heart leads me to the second thing that I want to be what He wants me to be. I want to be in partnership with Him. I I want to do the things for which I was made. I want to fulfill God's purposes in my life. I want to see those purposes fulfilled. Jesus said, My food is to do what God has sent me to do, to Serve the Lord. We all have a need to serve the Lord. Sometimes people think of it as though, you know, I've got a, you know, serving the Lord is, is some way that I, or when I, when I mean serving the Lord, I mean doing what he's called you to do. And I know that when I, as soon as I say that, there are people in the room who will say, well, I don't know what he's called me to do. Let me get to that in a minute, all right? But, but a lot of us think of it as serving the lord is being a way to i don't know pay him back but it's nothing like that it's about god our heavenly father inviting us into partnership with him this is really hard for a lot of us to get because many of us the the authority figures in our lives particularly the father figures in our lives have been something less than what god is like and our experience with a a father figure and a or an authority figure, inviting us into partnership is not so pleasant. What we have experienced, many of us, not all of us, but many of us, is that if we get invited in, we are then, re- the notion that we are not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not whatever, enough is reinforced. And, and you know, if we're giving any, given any sort of assignment, it's usually, um, you know, something... Insignificant. We're not, never trusted with the real meaty things, and we're kind of set off to the corner to watch the person who knows what they're doing do it. Anybody ever had that experience in your life? God is not like that. God, the Maker. Of, get this: the God, the Maker of all things, has has uh, purposefully invited us in to what he is doing in this world. It says that when you were being, when you were in gestation, when you were being crafted in your mother's womb, God was writing your future. He has plans for you. And those plans involve being in partnership with him, being involved in what he's doing in in this world. And it's like he gives you, I'm sorry about the mic, It's it's as though he gives you the keys to the kingdom. In fact, he said that. He's entrusted you with the gospel. This is no lightweight thing. Uh, Yesterday, when we were preparing to leave to come home from our cabin trip, Sue assigned our oldest granddaughter to clean the bathroom sink. Now, she gave her... A can of some kind of spray stuff, and uh, you know, sponge, and said, "Now here's how, here's what I want you to do, and how to do it. Go after it." And so she did. She cleaned it up, and Sue came in and says, "Wow, this is spotless. This is wonderful. Great job, and all that." And then she comes out, and my granddaughter comes out, and she says, "I love to clean." (laughs) Now I'll bet, I'll bet her mom has never heard her say that in her entire life. What was the difference? Well. I, this is not about whether, you know, it, look, cleaning for your mom is one thing. <laughs> and, you know, cleaning for someone else is another thing altogether. So this is not about, you know, my, my daughter's parenting. But what was happening is this uh, 11-year-old girl was being entrusted with the stuff. You know, she's <laughs> got the spray can and, the sponge and a sponge and a significant job. Her job was to clean that sink. And when she did, nobody came in there and said, hey, no, that's not, that's not good enough. Try this and, you know, none of that. She, when, when she was finished, she was applauded for her job well done. And all of us love that. We want to be trusted with, and even though it's a little bit scary sometimes, we want to be trusted with something significant and we want to be able to, at the end of that assignment, know we did a good job. Don't you love that? Listen, God wants that for you god wants that for you in fact you have a need to serve the lord my food is to do the will of him who sent me it's an amazing thing that we have been invited into with god problem is we generally postpone it the dis- jesus said to his disciples this, but you guys say it's four months until the harvest i don't need I, you know And this is, you know, my position as a pastor, I hear this kind of thing all the time. Well, I'll serve the Lord when, when I retire. I'll serve the Lord when my kids are raised. I'll serve the Lord after, you know, I get that next promotion. I'll serve the Lord when I know more of the Bible. I'll serve the Lord when you fill in the blank. Jesus said, lift your eyes. There's the harvest right now. If, if that's the case for you, that you find yourself disqualifying yourself from stepping forward into what you were made for, can I tell you the only person suffering from that is you? What are you waiting for? We, de- we definitely, for the most part, don't trust ourselves like God does. but now is the time not tomorrow not the day after that now all right back to what i said before when i when i said you know let's let's do what we were made for let's do what god shaped us for and and i know the question comes up i don't know what that is Can I tell you, it doesn't come this way. The answer to that question, what am I made for, it doesn't come with a handwritten note from God that says, here's what you're made for. This is step-by-step what you're supposed to do. It doesn't come that way because there's no partnership involved in that. There's no relationship involved in that. And God is after relationship with you. Here's where it starts. It starts with, okay, here I come. I don't know where I'm going, I don't know how to do it, and I'm sure I'm going to screw up big time, but here I come. That's, that's where it starts, like that. Now, I understand, you know, that there is a small percentage of people he- that might be hearing me today, for whom what I'm about to say is, uh, you know, is fuel for irresponsibility. I am not talking about you being irresponsible. And what I mean by that is sometimes I did this, and so that's why I know. I, there was a period of time in my early, you know, married life when I was not providing well for my family. And the way I excused it was, well, but I'm serving the Lord. Uh, God would not let me get away with that, thankfully, thankfully but i'm not at, i'm not at, at all um, invoking or inviting you into a situation where you behave irresponsibly but i am I am going to ask the question now what are you waiting for if you had all of your financial stuff taken care of all the money that you need if you if you had all the time that you need you didn't you know you could every resource at your disposal what is it that you would want to be involved in with Jesus, what is the thing that, that, that uh, impassions your life? Have you even allowed yourself to consider it? What is the thing that most turns your crank, you know? Start there. Say, God, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is your will or not, But I know that pastor guy said, If I had all the money and time in the world, what would I do? This is what I would do. And so, if this is anywhere close to your will for my life, can I get started now? You know what the answer will be? Yes. I've been waiting for you. That will be God's answer. Ask that question What's holding you back? Ask yourself, what's holding me back? The fields are white, ready for harvest. Jesus went on to say that the benefits are both immediate and eternal. He said um, in verse 36, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. You know, there are immediate benefits to being involved with Jesus. There is nothing like serving the Lord in terms of the fulfillment that it brings to your life, the joy. Listen, next Sunday, after the 13 men and women from our congregation return from Nicaragua on Saturday night, next Sunday when they're here with us, will they have a story to tell? I'll bet at the top of the list of their story will be Two days they spent in an airport in Houston <laughs> because it's part of the, the grand scheme of being in the throes, in the thick of serving Jesus. They all left there at great expense to themselves, their nine-to-five job, and for 10 days they said, Lord, here I come. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I'm sure I don't know the Bible well enough, but here I come, and they're going to have a story to tell. Because there's nothing like being involved in serving Jesus. There are some ushers who have been serving us today. They, they distributed communion. They received the offering. Somebody somewhere right now is taking attendance. They're doing all that stuff. You know what? They do that not because they're getting paid. They do that not because they have to. They do that because being involved in serving the Lord is like nothing else in the world, even if it means passing some baskets around. If that's what the Lord has called me to do, that's what I want to be doing because it's fulfilling in every way. So it has immediate benefits, but it also has eternal benefits. Yesterday when Sue and I were driving home from... Southern California. She was reading to me a post, not a not a Facebook post, but from, from some other online uh, service. A post by a, a a man named Caleb, and it was he was just talking about how God was moving miraculously regarding uh, the, a physical uh, problem that a family member had as a result of a really terrible car accident. What went on and what he was saying is not the point. The point is, I was reminded when she read this post to me about when I first met Caleb. I first met Caleb when he was in his mother's womb. Now that may sound a little strange, and I grant you it kind of sounds to me a little strange too, but, but he, his mom and his dad were 16, 17-year-old kids in the first church that Sue and I ever pastored. She got pregnant out of, out of wedlock, obviously. And uh, the two of them were on their way to the abortion clinic when the Lord got a hold of them and said, No, just trust me. They came, confessed to me. Our church surrounded them, provided for them in so many ways job, help, and you know, all, all kinds of ways. They got married. I mean, you know, that's not always the, the answer or solution in that kind of a situation, but they got married. Um, I mean, the re- all of this stuff starts flooding back to me when she just mentioned this, this name, Caleb. All, all of that came flooding back to me, how his father, after a period of time of, you know, becoming mature and a, and a husband and a father and learning how to provide for his family and all that stuff, how he eventually became part of our church's staff as our youth pastor, and how today that young man who was writing that post, Caleb, who was almost aborted, is now serving Jesus as a minister in another church. I'm thinking, when she just mentions that, that kid's name, Caleb, you're not a kid anymore, but when she, I'm thinking, God, thank you, I've lived long enough to watch this story unfold. And how many more stories like that are we going to rejoice in when we cross the threshold into eternity and see all of the ways that God has used us that we didn't even know about? How heaven has been populated by the things that God has used me to say or do that's influenced someone to to come to faith in Christ? Oh, I can't wait for that. Can you? That's don't wait. Let's get involved now in what Jesus is doing in this world. This is recording number one 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 two from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July sixth, twenty fourteen. This is the first message in a series by Randy Bolt titled, On the Road with Jesus. This message is titled, The Hunger of the Heart.